Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Amen. You may be seated. We want to welcome you all this morning. How are we doing? We're doing all right? Awesome. Yeah. That's good worship, too. Thank you, Ryan and the team. But it's great. So we want to welcome you here to Colonial Woods. Those watching on the live stream, um, we want to welcome you as well, especially those in Florida. Yeah. Thank you. So, uh, uh, but no, we're excited to be here this morning. Pastor Phil started a series last week um, on this idea of chosen. And he started us with this verse, and I love it. Out of Ephesians chapter 1, it says this. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us the one he loves. And I love that first part, for he chose us. And that's the series we're in on how God regularly chooses us. He regularly comes to where we're at and he wants to. Uh, he wants to meet with us. And so he is choosing every day to be a part of your life. And the question at times is, are we choosing him back? Right? And so we are going to be in this series all the way up through Easter um, and talking about the different choices that we have and how God has taken that ability to choose us. And so for me, when I think of choices, um, I'm a guy, I, I kind of like choices. I, I think that I make them well um, and I have no problem making a choice. If you ask me my opinion, I'll give it. Um, if you say, hey, what do you want to do, this or that? I'll tell you this or that. Like, I have no problem with that. And I'm so pretty confident in my choices, except. For one question in the Hammer household, there's a question every day that happens that I have, I just, I get it wrong. I'm not confident anymore in this. Like when I, before I was married and had kids, like I knew the answer to this, but now the answer just eludes me. And it's this question, what's for dinner? Like no joke. I don't know if any of you else have this problem. Like when this question comes about in our house, it's like we're all confident until we have to make that choice. And so I think, I think I try, honey. I try and do the right thing. And so I ask her, hey, honey, what do you want? What are you in the mood for when it comes to dinner? And you know what she says? You're not going to believe it. I don't care. Whatever. And so when I first got married, I took this at face value. And so I started saying, okay, hey, how about, how about Chicken. Yeah, I'm not in the mood for chicken. You just told me you didn't care. You just told me it didn't matter. And now it matters. It matters. How, how does that work? And so we throw out other things. I knew when I was a bachelor, I could choose McDonald's or Taco Bell and always be happy. Oh, no, 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 no. Not when you get married. Oh, I smell burgers on the way home from work. I'm not in the mood for that anymore. Like, you don't even know the choices. It's so hard. Those so I had all confidence in choice making until that question comes up on what's for dinner. Anybody else suffer that question? Yeah, it's mostly men, but some women in here, yeah. So we just have that moment. So we're, we're figuring out, we, we go to counseling. For, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but but choices, choices are tough. Um, Jesus didn't have that choice. Um, he, he, it was easier. It was like, hey, what are we having for dinner? Fishes and loaves, right? When we run out, he'll just make more. It just, it's just kind of that constant thing. So Jesus' choices were a little bit easier. But I believe, I believe that when it comes to Jesus and when we look at his gospels, when we look at scripture, I believe that Jesus made choices every day. 
And you say, yeah, of course it but, but I believe that they were intentional. I believe things did not just happen. I believe that as you read scripture, sometimes they go, wow, what a coincidence that Jesus was there when that person was there. And I would tell you that I think that every move Jesus made was a choice to be a part of someone's life. And over the next several weeks, what we'd like to do is walk through some of those stories, some of those encounters that Jesus had that I believe were intentional and were choices that he made. And so if you have your Bibles, would you turn to John chapter 4 with me? John chapter 4, we're going to be looking at a a pretty familiar story uh, for those of you who grew up in the church, a story that you've probably heard several times. Um, It's the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman. Um, And so John chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. So to give you a little bit of context, um, this is pretty early on in Jesus' ministry. Um, John the Baptist is still alive at this time. He has been going around preaching. He's been going around uh, talking about Jesus and baptizing people in Jesus' name. And you'll see that if you go back to John chapter 3, you'll see that. Jesus is down at this time in um, Jerusalem, in, in Judea. And so he's down in that area of of the world. And in this happenings, the Pharisees are starting to catch wind of the stuff that's going on. And they're not excited. Because this guy named Jesus is on the scene claiming at times to be a little bit better than everybody else. Is probably the way they're thinking about it. Um, And so when they hear that Jesus is baptizing people like John, there becomes some frustration Within that. And so we get to John chapter 4, and this is what happens. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. We're going to stop there real quick. And, uh, As I look at this story, it became very clear to me that choices were made everywhere. There were choices made by Jesus. There was choices made by the Samaritan woman. And then as we read these scriptures, I think there's choices that we have to make in response. And that's what we want to look at this morning. We want to take time to look over that. When we see here the choices that Jesus made are really interesting to me. The first one I see here is that he chose to go through Samaria. He chose to go through Samaria. Now, when I read that first verse in 4, John 4, 4, it says, now he he had to go through Samaria. Now, here's the deal. When I read that verse, had, I I, I go, why why did he have to do this? I mean, was there only one route? Was there not? And and, and as I'm going to explain to you in a second, there was multiple ways he could have gone, and yet he chose to go here. And the the only thing I think of is why is because Jesus knew that there was someone he had to meet. And in his brain, it was a have to. It it wasn't as much a, like, yes, there's multiple options, which one to go. He still chose to do it, but in his brain, 
he had to. Now, there may be some biblical scholars in here who are smarter than me, and you want to tell me about that. Um, and so if you do, you can email me at ann at colonialwoodsmc.com, and, and that will be answered as quickly as possible. But I, I believe that Jesus made an intentional choice to do this, and here's why. If we have a map um, of, of Jerusalem and uh, Galilee at this time, you're going to see there were typically two ways that, that people went from Jerusalem, which is where Jesus was, on the bottom of your screen, all the way up to Galilee, which is his home, which is where, he, or where he, the disciples are, where he's going. You notice Samaria's in the middle. The most common route for Jews, the most common route for Jews, that's key, and we'll talk about it in a second, was to go east. You'll notice that path to the right, that's east is right, and that red line, to cross over the Jordan River, to go into Perea, go up the east bank of the Jordan and cross back over into Galilee. What Jews will tell you is the reason they like that path is because it is a less strenuous path. To go straight north was a little bit more mountainous, more hills. And so to go east, it was more desert. And so as they got over there, it was an easier path. Although it took six days to take that path. That was the most common path that most Jews took. Path number two, which is what Jesus says he had to do, was to go straight north, a little bit more hill country, but they had to go through Samaria to get there. This was a three-day journey. So it cut off half your time, but, but it's a little bit more tiresome. And so you see that, right? Jesus says he was tired from his journey, so he stopped. And so you kind of get like proof of that moment. So, so in this, they had choices. Most Jews, which was what Jesus was, chose the east path for what they said was a more easy route. But in reality, what most people knew is that the Jews hated the Samaritans. And we're going to talk about why in a second. But they, but they didn't like them. They didn't get along. And so they would use the justification as an easier path. But in reality, they just didn't want to do that. Jesus, though, chose to take the northern route, to take that straight, direct path. And for me, when it says he had to, that is why I go, in his brain, it was a have to, but in the rest of the world and culture, it was a, no, you chose to do that. But I believe Jesus chose to because he knew something was greater. The second choice we see Jesus make is that he chose to talk to a woman. Now, in our culture today, it's not a, really a big deal, but you're going to see there it says that when a Samaritan woman um, came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Notice that Jesus also spoke first. So this is a big deal in Jewish culture as well. You're going to get a history lesson on Jewish culture today. I hope you're okay with that. In Jewish culture at the time, especially amongst rabbis, they were not allowed to talk to women publicly. Rabbis were not allowed to do that. And the reason was, is um, Pharisees and the culture there, they're very big on making rules to protect your rules, to protect your rules so you wouldn't sin. And so one of the things is they're like, hey, if you interact with the opposite sex of, as a rabbi, you are putting yourself in temptation to, to sin, to have sexual immorality. So the best way we know how to solve this problem is just publicly, you won't talk to women. That would be the easiest thing to do. And so, so you have that moment where, where Jesus is interacting with a, with a woman, which is a big no-no. 
and, and it goes against all of cultural relevance to the point where you weren't even allowed to talk to your wife and some of the really religious ones or sister publicly. Privately, yeah. Now some of you in the room are going, how do I sign up, right? No, that's a joke, that's a joke. But we have this moment where that, that's kind of like, that this place is like crazy to think about. In their brains though, they were doing the right thing. They were saying, hey, we're protecting ourselves. We don't want to fall into temptation. We don't want to have this issue. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi in one of the strictest times of the culture, and yet he chose to speak to this woman. He chose to have a conversation against cultural relevance. He chose to walk through Samaria when everybody else went around it. And I believe it was very intentional because he knew there was a meeting that he had to take place with this woman. The last thing I think that I see is Jesus chose is he chose to talk to a Samaritan. You see that there it says, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, if you've grown up in the church, you've heard about this, right? Samaritans, Jews, they don't get along. But you may have not known why. And it goes back in history to 720 B.C. In 720 B.C., the Assyrian army attacked Samaria. And when they attacked Samaria, they overthrew Samaria and began to kind of make this their new home. Still part of Jewish culture, but the Assyrians have invaded. Now they tried to get into Galilee and Judea, but they held their ground a lot better. Now, now in this culture as well, the Jewish culture, it's a big deal. Once again, lots of rules. It's a big deal that you cannot marry a foreigner. Jewish people had to marry Jewish people. To the point that if they married someone that was not of their own faith and religion, the family considered them dead to them. They would literally hold a funeral if you intermarried with anybody else. They would hold a funeral and say, you are no longer part of this family. You are no longer alive. The son or daughter that we knew is, not gonna, is, is no longer alive. Now, as a dad of two daughters... I hate boys, but I'm not even this strict, right? I'm not going to put this many rules, but for them, this was a big deal. And so Assyrians invaded Samaria, and as they made this their home, there was no one else to marry but Jews and Assyrians and, and foreigners. And so what happened is by 400 B.C., if you were to walk through Samaria, you wouldn't know who was Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, foreigner, and you wouldn't know. Because of that, by 400 BC, Jewish culture, specifically in Galilee and in and Judea, hated Samaria. They felt that they were so unclean that to even come near them would cause them uncleanliness. Now I get it, it's weird, right? You're thinking, hey, but we have weird things that we do too. And in culturally, at this time, this was a big deal. And so this became a feud 400 years before Jesus got here, but known by everybody. And so as you read through the New Testament and you see any time an interaction with a Samaritan person comes in, you see people crossing the other side of the road. You see people like this where it says, oh, you can't do this. And, and Samaritans knew it too. She says, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And yet Jesus chose 
to talk to a Samaritan. Jesus broke every cultural barrier to do that. Social economic barriers to meet with one woman. Does that not intrigue anybody else? We know the rest of the story, right? We know how it works, but they don't. It's the Son of God choosing to go whatever means necessary to meet with this woman. Have you ever wondered what Jesus went through to meet with you? For those of you who are believers in the room, do you remember what Jesus went through to connect with you for the first time? Maybe for those of you who are off the path, have you ever taken time to think about what Jesus is going through to meet with you right now? He chose to take the road that Jews did not travel. He chose to talk to a woman which, quite frankly, could have got him thrown out of the rabbi program, whatever you want to call it. He chose to talk to a Samaritan against the cultural norms. And this is what it says on why. The woman says, why are you doing this, right? You need a drink from me. You know the stories. You know Jesus. You're not supposed to be here. Why? Verse 10 says this. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up in eternal life. And, and for us, that sounds a little bit like riddles and probably for the woman at the well it did a little bit too. But he's essentially saying, hey, I came to this well to, get living, to, to show you living water. And she's thinking for him, right? She, she, she responds, well, you didn't even bring a cup, dude. Like, really? And, and he's like, oh, no, no, no. You think I need this? No, I showed up here. I showed up here to give you something you didn't even know you needed. How cool is that? We serve that same God. You realize that, right? We serve a God who loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to meet with us right where we're at. To die for our sins, to have that moment. And, and that's what this was. And so this woman has this moment where I think she has to figure out what's going on. Like, okay, this guy is either crazy or maybe there's something to it. And so she engages with him. And so if you look at John chapter 4, continuing this story, 
It says, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands. Uh Uh-oh. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seek. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ, he's coming. When he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. That's funny to me. Then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you, I am he. Then if you go down to verse 28, it says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now, as you look at this, there's some choices I believe that the woman made. So Jesus made his choices, and the woman is now at a place where she has to make hers. Okay? And so as she's doing this, the first choice she she did is she chose to acknowledge her need. She chose to acknowledge her need. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. She recognized, hey, hey, if you got something that's that special, where do I sign up? Right? For all of us, we have to come to a place of acknowledgement of a need. We have a need, something greater than ourselves, and do we acknowledge we have that need? Some of us are a little bit more stubborn than others. Some of us, it happens a little quicker. Regardless of where you're at, there has to be an acknowledgement of a need. And that's what she did. The second thing is that she chooses to acknowledge her mistakes. <coughs> Excuse me. She chooses to acknowledge her mistakes. If you see there in John chapter 4, Jesus says, hey, go get your husband. And she goes, I have no husband. Kind of a lie. Kind of a truth. It's up in the air. Right? And Jesus says, you're right. You actually have five husbands. That's a lot, if you didn't know. It's only supposed to have one. Uh, And so, five husbands. But notice her response. Her response wasn't justification of five. Her response was like, okay, but what do I do then? What do I do? You're not wrong. I'm in a place I just can't imagine, I can't get out of. Because Jesus tells her, he goes, even the guy you're with isn't even your husband. And her response is, I, I know. But what am I supposed to do? I'm a Samaritan woman. Yeah, I don't understand what you're talking about. You're telling me I need to do this, but this is what the world is telling me. I don't get it, right? She came to a place of desperation. 
that I think all of us have been in at some point in time. That we hit that place and she goes, yeah, I'm a sinner. I don't know what to do about it though. And Jesus goes on and he begins to tell her, hey, it's going to be okay. You see, the, the mountain you're talking about and all those places, I know that it's Jews go here, Samaritans go here, but we're, I'm talking about a place that breaks all of that down. I'm talking about a place that you can be forgiven. And the last choice that this woman made is she chose to believe in the Savior. She chose to believe in the Savior. Do you get that? It says, the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he was going to explain everything to us. She was waiting for the moment. Did you get that? She didn't get that this was the moment. But she was waiting for it. She was waiting. Have you ever, have you ever been in a place where you're just like, God, show up? Hey, God, where are you? You want him there. You're waiting. And then one of my favorite parts of the thing, it goes, then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Mic drop. Hey, you've been waiting? You've been waiting for a guy to tell you everything you need to know? He took the Blake Shelton finger. Me. It's me. Like that's the only quote you need, right? I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus. End message. And it says here, it says, Then the leaving the water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him because she chose to believe in a Savior. Hey, church, do you, do you remember the place that Jesus met with you for the first time? I mean, for this woman... She was lost, didn't know what was going on. And she had this moment of desperation and she figures out who Jesus was. To the point where she couldn't hold it in. I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of it many times of forgetting. Forgetting that place. Where Jesus met me in such a real way. And he says, hey, I want you. Can you go back there? Do me a favor. Everybody in the room, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Go back to the place that Jesus chose to meet with you for the first time. How old were you? What 
was going around? What's happening in the room? What did the room look like? And what was the color of the carpet? Is there a picture on the wall? Who was there? Was there other people in the room? Friend? Family member? How did it make you feel? What did Jesus say to you that made the impact? Some of you with your eyes closed right now, you're sitting here going, I don't have that moment. Maybe that moment is right now. That Jesus is telling you, hey, I am he. Did you open your eyes? Came home after church when I was six years old. We had Awanas and Cubbies. Some of you know the Awana program. It's my six-year-old bedroom. My top bunk. My mom came in to pray with us. And she's praying with my brother in the bottom bunk. My brother talks about what we learned at church that night. He says, we talked about Jesus and how he, he wants to be our forever friend. He says, Mom, I want to I wanna ask Jesus. They talk that we can have Jesus in our hearts. He says, I want to do that. And so my mom begins to explain this to my brother. And I remember sitting in the top bunk, six years old, going, hey, I believe all that stuff. Hey, I heard that. I want that too. And so when my mom came up to pray with me in my top bunk of the bed, said, hey, mom, can I do that too? My mom prayed with us that prayer. And for me, that was the earliest memory of meeting with Jesus for the first time. I wonder today if we have the testimonies of that in this room. I wonder if you'd be willing to right now stand up and tell me the place you met Jesus the first time. See, I, we did this unintentionally with our staff this week. I was talking about this, this message and kind of what God laid on my heart. And as I talked to them about it, I said, hey, yeah. And I told them that story of when I accepted Christ. I just kind of want people to go back there. I said, so for me, it's like six-year-old bedroom, top bunk. And I remember Pastor Ryan saying, blue carpet, red bunk bed. And Pastor Brian said, brown city camp. And I remember thinking, wow, the testimonies of when people first met Jesus, so powerful. And it hit me, why don't we share that more often? For the woman at the well, it would be Jacob's well on that side of that mountain, right? What about you? Would you stand up right now and just tell me the place that you met Jesus? There might be multiple people. Yeah? 
Awesome. Great. Anybody else? Oh, yeah. Oh, great. That's great. Who else? Huh. Yeah. Oh. Who else? Yeah. Who else? Where did God meet you for the first time? <laughs> Anybody else? Amen. That's awesome. Hmm. Anybody else? Amen. Yeah. Hmm. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. Anybody else? I told the Lord I'd take as much time as he wants to give. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Do you remember? Can you go back to that place? See, God chooses to meet with every one of us. Every single one of us. And there's a place 
And for some of you, I've had people all weekend talk to me. Well, I don't remember the exact place, but I know that God spoke to me. Because that's what we have. We have a God who chooses to find you, to choose to meet with you. But here's what's so cool. The story doesn't stop. This is what I love about this. Can, can we look at this? In John chapter 4, so the woman, so the woman meets with Jesus, says, I am he. I, I'm the guy. And she says, okay, I'm, I'm going to choose to see you as a savior, but doesn't stop. She goes to start telling people, right? In verse 39, it says, many of the Samaritans, Samaritans, from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Awesome. Right? And, and there's choices that we have to make as we hear this. Okay? The first choice that we make is we must choose to share the testimony of Jesus. We have to share the testimony. What you just did and stood up, you shared the testimony of Jesus. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And our testimony has the power to change lives. Our testimony that Jesus did a work inside of us, if we hold it in church, we're not doing what God has called us to do. You have a story. I'm in tears up here as I'm hearing story after story on how Jesus met with you guys. How cool is that? And we're going to hold that in? We have to be a church that shares the testimony of Jesus Christ. The second thing that we must do is we must choose to stay with Jesus. Did you, did you catch that there where Jesus is getting ready to leave and the Samaritans are like, whoa, 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 you can't do that. You can't come in here and up world, whirlwind and then just take off. No, stay with me. Two days he stayed. We have to regularly choose to stay with Jesus. And we go on our paths, I get it, up and down, and some of us may be in a downward place where we haven't been meeting with Jesus. But when he comes into our lives and he meets with us, he wants to meet with us daily. It's not a one-time meet and greet with cheese and crackers and the next day nothing. We must choose to stay with Jesus daily, regularly. The third thing we must do is we must choose to share our Jesus with others. And this church, for me, this is not a guilt trip, but I think if I asked the same testimony, there wouldn't be as many people standing up on who have you shared Jesus with lately. See, that same Jesus who met with you in that place is wanting to meet with other people. And God said, hey, I need you to make an introduction. Would you choose to share your Jesus with someone else? Did you get that last part there? It says, then they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. No, no, now we have heard it for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. 
This woman said, hey, you got to meet this guy that I met. Let me introduce you to him. And as, they, as, he, as she shared her Jesus with this other person, everybody else, they said, okay. And they didn't just leave it there. It wasn't just I shared it. They, he, she introduced him so that they could have a relationship. That's, that's what we're called to do. To share our Jesus with other people. It's like this. We, we are often called, the church as a whole is called the bride of Christ. Meaning essentially that Jesus is the groom, the church as a whole is the bride, but there's a relationship. It's not, it's not a, a coincidence that they're using a wedding because a wedding, a marriage relationship is the most, one of the most intimate earthly relationships we could ever have, right? With one other person. And so so God and Jesus, they use this, this parallel a lot where the church and Christ are, are married. There's an intimate relationship that we need to have. And as we have that relationship, imagine on your wedding day with Christ, as that, that meet and greet with Jesus that you have. You're up here and about to say your vows, and then all of a sudden you go, oh, wait. All you came to attend my wedding. This is awesome. Thanks for coming. But hey, I don't think you're in the right seat. Could you, could you maybe join me in my bridal party up here? Can you imagine being at a wedding and someone stopping and go, oh, thank you, friends. Actually, what we want is all of you to join me. And she says, hey, you're here. Can you stand with me and can you? Stand with me, and can you stand with me? So you go back to the wedding, and you're across from your bride, from groom, and you say, wait, I know this is gonna be weird. It's not normal. But would you, would you take my place? See, I have this relationship, I know what it is, but I don't know if you have it. And I'd like you to have this ceremony with Christ. The most intimate thing I can share with him, I don't want to just be me and him, I want you to be a part of it. So as a friends and family who came to this wedding, I know you're here, I got you here, but that's really where you need to be. In church, we got to become a place that starts sharing our Jesus with others. Not for the sake of growth. I, I love my church. I wear it proudly. I don't care about it, though. Not like I care about Jesus. I just want to see his kingdom grow. And if I'm not sharing him with others, yeah, we got a nice building and facility, but this is what it says about who you're sharing. 
in Revelation 19 says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Jesus is ready, he's waiting. In Ephesians, it goes on to continue to talk about it, it says, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. We have a God who sent his son to be that bride, that, to be there for us, to have this relationship that is ready, waiting. Who are you bringing? Who are you inviting? Who are you sharing your Jesus with? Who is it? Does a name pop in your head? A name that you want to introduce and do a meet and greet? Maybe at work? Maybe it's a family member? Maybe it's a friend? see, you're not responsible to get them saved. God will take care of that. But you are responsible to make introductions. So who do you choose to share Jesus with today? How about tomorrow? Who's it going to be tomorrow? And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, so that we can begin to see God's kingdom grow. Man, what, what would Port Huron look like if we all chose to share our Jesus? What would our country look like if we chose to share Jesus with others? What would this church look like if we chose to share Jesus? So Father, today, would you not let us forget who you have called us to meet with? Lord, would you not let us forget that first day that you met with us? Lord, I remember coming that next week to church after I prayed with my mom and I wanted to tell the world about this decision I made. Lord, sometimes I lose that. Would you bring me back to that place regularly? And Lord, would you give me boldness and courage? And for the person in here, Lord, that's saying, I need that. I want that. Would you not wait? Would you make March 8, 2020, the day that Jesus chose to meet with you, Colonial Woods Missionary Church? And as you make that decision, would you share it with others? Lord, let us be a people who are not afraid to share you with others.
We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.